Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Most gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In the summer of 2019, several of us went to Montreat for a stewardship conference. At the conference, Reverend Steve Eason led a study on our passage from Matthew. And when I heard him give that Bible study, I knew that I wanted to preach a sermon on that passage on Commitment Sunday here at Second Presbyterian Church. I stuck to that decision, even though it interrupts our Catching Up with the Spirit sermon series on the book of Acts. Now, you can hear this passage in two ways. First, you can hear it from the perspective of the crowd, which represents the world's needs, or or maybe even as a member of the crowd with your own personal needs. The second way you can hear it is from the perspective of the disciples, who, with Jesus, have to deal with the crowd and their many needs. Though we should hear the story in both ways, this sermon listens with the ears of the disciples, listens with the ears of the church. So, taking a break from the series, listen for the Word of God in this reading from Matthew 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, the death of his cousin John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and find something to eat for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over in broken pieces and it filled 12 baskets. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Crowds can wear you out. 
On our very first trip to the Dominican Republic, a mission trip, my friend Joe Duckwall was part of a team that would take a ride to a remote barrio every day and see everyone who needed something from a doctor. It could be as minor as a checkup or it could be treatment for a more serious condition. And there were larger crowds waiting for the doctors and the nurses back then. And Joe, a pediatrician, would see each day over 100 people, one day over 200 people, most of them children. It was rewarding, but exhausting work. Meanwhile, most days I would spend at a school. I'd play with the kids at recess, and that was a lot of fun. But most of what I would do is to go from classroom to classroom and simply have conversation with the children there for the better part of an hour so that they could practice their English. Here's the problem. Their English was poor, and my Spanish was non-existent. So... For the better part of an hour, we had to carry on a conversation with the whole class, with each individual child, accompanied by the aerobics of sign language and facial expressions. And yes, I made the classic mistake of speaking louder than I needed to because I thought that would make me more intelligible. And this is really embarrassing to admit, I would find myself speaking English with a Dominican accent. I know that doesn't make sense. It was ridiculous, but maybe my desperate intuition was telling me that since the translators were making a lot of sense, speaking English with a Dominican accent, maybe I would too. I don't know. So while I love the kids and we had a great time at recess, I can't say that my classroom teaching was as rewarding as Joe's medical work in the barrios because he was more effective, but I can say it was exhausting. And I keep telling Joe that, even though he keeps teasing me about my days spent playing with children. I've told him, and this is true, that when I have spent long days in the hot Caribbean sun on a Dominican construction site, it is not nearly as draining as carrying on those conversations with all those kids in those classrooms. He doesn't believe me. But if you teachers out there who are teaching now both online and on-site, if you would just now give me an amen, I'd appreciate it. That is, if you're not napping for the week that you just had. Joe was healing, and I was teaching. Both with crowds and both exhausting. And that's where Jesus is at the beginning of our passage. Worn out, needing a break, needing time alone to think, to pray, to recover. And why? Well, read the two previous chapters in Matthew and they will tell you why. Jesus has been carrying Joe's load and mine. He has been healing and he has been teaching. And because so many people seek his healing and teaching, the crowds have just kept growing. And to make the experience more exhausting, whenever he heals someone or teaches something, someone's always there to criticize him. 
He heals a man with a withered hand, and some Pharisees want to know why he's working on the Sabbath. He casts an unclean spirit out of a man, and more Pharisees question if he is using Satan's power. He teaches in his hometown synagogue, and folks refuse to listen because they knew him when he was a kid. And I'm not finished. Right before our passage, you heard it alluded to in the very first phrase of the passage, Jesus learns that his cousin is dead, actually killed. John the Baptist, his cousin and companion in the cause of justice, had lived this long because King Herod was himself intimidated by the crowds, but then finally keeps a promise to those around him and has John executed with his head brought to him on a platter. And Jesus hears about it. And it's too much. Enough is enough. Those Pharisees had a point. We need our Sabbath rest. We need sometimes to get away from the, from the crowd to stop doing and simply be. And Jesus gets in a boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee to find a deserted place so he can be alone. He's not backing down. He's just taking a break. And then he finds that what he has fled finds him. Actually, what he has fled is waiting for him there on the beach. When he gets to the other side, there is the crowd. And Jesus again takes compassion on them and heals their sick. And this is when we learn that this story is not just about Jesus' exhaustion, but also the exhaustion of his disciples. For it turns out when Jesus escapes to the other side, so do they. And when the crowd finds Jesus, they also find the disciples. And these disciples are the ones who simply think that they have nothing more to give. And they let Jesus know it. Send them away, they ask him. Well, they don't say it like that. I mean, they're not heartless after all. They couch their request in compassion. They they see the needs of the crowd. These folks are still hungry for parables and healing. And now, with evening approaching, they are hungry for food. And this is a deserted place. So what the disciples ask is that Jesus not just simply tell them to go away, but actually go away to the villages so they can find food there to eat. I find this a very relatable story. I mean, look at the crowds with their needs all around us now. So many who need food and shelter and asylum. I've read Dope Sick, written by Beth Macy. Maybe you have too. If you have, wow, the statistics about opioid abuse in Southwest Virginia all around us. Look at the crowds protesting these days. Look at the violence that sometimes breaks out. And we are told that some problems like racism are systemic. Well, how do you move from systemic to solved? And we're in the middle of a pandemic where separation is a solution. And we're in the middle of a polarizing election where separation is a problem. And we've read about the dangers to our planet, to our economy, our democracy. And so we pray Holy God, 
Lord Jesus, here are these problems. They're big. We have compassion. We want them to be dealt with. Can you please deal with them? Can you please send them to where they can be solved? You know, all that that I just went over, all that that I just said, that litany of needs and of problems, you know what? That was exhaustion talking. I mean, the truth is that the crowd is not just about needs, but also about so many things to be celebrated. I mean, many in this crowd on the side, on the beach, well, they've heard what Jesus has said, and and it has given some of them hope and direction. That's why they've told others. That's why others have come, and people have been healed. And don't you know that one reason that this crowd has swelled is because family and friends have come to express their thanks. The disciples who are overwhelmed by the crowds are also those who have been overcome by the vision that Jesus has given them and the direction that he has given their lives. That's why they're in this with him. That's why they're on the beach with him. And in our world, though it's hard to hear over the noise of bad news or see past the many disturbing media images, there is everywhere happening words and gestures of genuine kindness and care and concern. It's like talking about the larger church's issues and missing how much is being done here and there, how much is being done by this congregation to grow community and meet human needs. It's like talking about the problems of our nations and missing how so much is being done by so many to find common ground and show shared commitment and compassion in addressing the nation's issues. But exhaustion just doesn't think that way. Sometimes the worst conclusions are drawn and the worst decisions are made when we are worn out. So, exhausted and overwhelmed, the disciples right now, they're just not in the mood to see that this might be a moment when crowds are listening, when healing is happening, when the world is changing with so much potential for the world to change for the better. They can see how filled with potential for salvation is this moment they have with Jesus. Well, they could see it if they weren't so tired. They just see the needs, and they want Jesus to deal with it. Jesus is starting to get dark outside. These people are hungry. Please send them to villages so they can get something to eat. Now, this is important. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't get upset with them for making this request. Really, there is nothing wrong with prayer that admits to God that we have more than we can bear and we need to place our burdens on God. And tired as he is, Jesus accepts the responsibility of doing what the disciples simply cannot do on their own. But prayer is a conversation. And Jesus, when he tells them what he is going to do, gives them an answer that the disciples don't expect. All right, Jesus says, I'll do something, but I'm going to need your help. Give them something to eat. Give them something to eat? There are 5,000 men out there, not counting the women and children. 
How much do you have? Jesus asked. Well, the disciples look in their bags and they give an answer that should put an end to the conversation. Five loaves and two fish. Well, Jesus says, let's see what we can do with that. And then, somehow, the crowds get fed. It's not like all their needs are solved. It's not even that this need is solved permanently. This crowd's going to grow hungry again. But that evening, they're all fed. How does it happen? Well, we could simply say it's a miracle. I mean, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish. He says a blessing and somehow multiplies what he has so that everyone can eat with leftovers to spare. But you know, if we simply say that it's a miracle, have we not yet found another way to take ourselves out of the response, leaving it simply to Jesus? Let's look at what Jesus does. He gets everyone's attention, and in Mark's telling of this story, has them sit down in smaller groups, small enough so that they can see each other. And then he says a blessing over what the disciples have shared with him and asks them then to serve the crowd. And the only way to serve a crowd, though, is person by person, face to face, dealing with each person and each smaller group one at a time. I mean, it's like that within the big church, I think. The Sunday school class or prayer group or mission team or even a committee it's an opportunity to actually get to know each other, each other's names and what's going on with their lives, and it's easier then to care for each other. And what do you think happens when you get small groups and someone begins to share what they have with them? It's easy to imagine that they then look in their own bags to see what they have to offer. Yes, some are empty-handed in this moment, but some have enough for themselves, and some have enough for themselves, and some to spare. Here's a loaf. Here's a fish. In other words, it turns out that the crowd doesn't just have needs, it has resources. And when they are given the right kind of inspiration, they become part of the solution of their shared problems. As Reverend Eason said in his Bible study, within the crowd, there is the ability to help. But they need someone to lead them. They need to be led. My friends, I began this solution saying that there are two perspectives from which to view this passage, as the crowd with needs and as the disciples who with Jesus are expected to deal with the crowd's needs. Well, lo and behold, the crowd and the disciples are just alike. This is not about one group who has the resources to help and another group who only has needs. The disciples themselves are overwhelmed. They are needy. They want this crowd to go away. The crowd has needs that they want Jesus to meet. But in the end, with God's help, with shared problems, they all have ways to address those problems within themselves. Maybe those who have issues with each other have within themselves the ability to reconcile if only they are led. Maybe those who are hurting can help with each other's healing if only we can be led. Maybe those who have hungers have ways that we can join together to make sure all are fed if only we are led. 
I think that's a picture of the church. I think that's a picture of Second Presbyterian Church. Today is Commitment Sunday, and we're being asked to look in our bags to see what we have to share so that together we can address our shared hungers and needs. We, who sometimes come to church to ask for God's blessings, have within our bags blessings to share. We who have come with heartfelt prayers to God, that God take burdens upon God's self that we cannot bear on our own, have ways that we can share our burdens together. We, the hungry, can help in feeding. Now, I think that sometimes we have to take our eyes off the whole crowd, this massive view of needs, and focus on those who are immediately around us. See their faces, learn their names, learn their needs, and also, also, what they have to offer us, how they can help meet our own hungers, and together we can start doing what we can with what we have. Start doing Goodness, we've started already. If we can't see that, maybe that's another thing that we can't see with our exhaustion. Maybe something else that we miss when we're overwhelmed. We might forget or miss the education and fellowship opportunities that have formed groups of people who now care for each other. The visitation of the homebound or calls to them. The compassion being shown for the sick and grieving the families who have been given shelter, the students at Highland Park who have been tutored, the incredible progress made in San Juan, and not to mention how the church refused to be overwhelmed but found ways, even during a pandemic, to be the worshipful, justice-loving, caring, and serving church only in a different way. That's the miracle of the church. We might like to go to church sometimes to escape to a deserted place where we can just get away from the problems around us to focus on our own needs for God. But then we find that while we all have needs, we also have resources to offer and we can help each other deal with them. So I know you're hungry. But let's look at what we all have and can share. And it will be amazing how many more besides us will be able to eat. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.